Hi, this is uh, Commander Chris Hadfield. You are listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. suffering from the top down to the bottom. I'll never forget when I was, I was on, I on the set of episode three and I'd been there for a couple of weeks already and George, it was early in the morning, like 7.30 or something or 7. And George walked on, he already had a bad knee and he just mumbled to himself, why am I putting myself through this? <laughs> and he told me, at, you know, at the end of the Jedi, I said, it's just really not fun. Yeah. And anybody who says it's fun, is lying. That's his point of view. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Another Star Wars podcast. I love it. We haven't had one in a while. This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. I changed it up. I didn't say welcome this week. I know. Your people are going to think they're listening to a different show. They're not going to know what to do. But you know what? They can find us on Twitter at the GBB Podcast, nice. Facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast. And I'm too lame. This is lame. I'm sorry. That was a lame intro. <laughs> it's all right. We do one every week. Some yes. of them have got to be lame. Yes. Maybe we should just cut. I don't know. Whatever. I, I think uh, one time when the, uh, the unplugged episode came up in somebody's feed, I forget who it was, and they messaged me and they were like, did you change your intros? Like it was because it was our unplugged episode, right? So oh, it's it different. Different music. Yeah, and they're like, I can't. I know this is weird, but I, I, I need to hear that spaceship and <laughs> like, what's going on? <laughs> I was like, you relax. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's intense. But, but it's it's funny how people. You know, anyway, that's a tangent. That has nothing to do with Star Wars, and that's what we're here to talk about today. We are here to talk about Star Wars. <laughs> Just we're a little not bit. Not here to talk about Star Wars. What's that? I said, when are we not here to talk about Star Wars? Uh, many we weeks, could, yes, many weeks, but Star Wars is sort of like our fallback geek passion. <laughs> so we, we, we do return to it quite a bit. And those of you who can't see us right now, which is all of you, um, Justin is actually wearing a Star Wars t-shirt at the moment. So uh, he's, he's in the mood. Yes, I am in the mood. And as of recording right now, I guess wait, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say the Rogue One trailer drop, but that doesn't, oh, that's well, not going to matter. Yeah. It's a few days later. Yeah. Whatever. You could talk about it. We're all okay. Yeah. Okay. As of right now, the Rogue One trailer dropped last night that we're recording. So we are really in the mood to talk Star Wars. Yeah. The uh, Unfortunately, the interview um, was recorded a few weeks ago. So we didn't talk about Rogue One so much. No, it's true. Uh, we could talk about the trailer. But um, yeah, Justin and I can um, talk about it right now. It's, you know, when you guys are listening to this, it was last week that mm -hmm. the, the most recent trailer um, released on the Olympics, uh, and it looks really good. I, I'm I'm so excited to find out, you know, the story and what's going on in the universe in that time period. It's just, you know, it's always something in your head that you wonder about, and, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's just, I mean, you can't, it's a trailer, right? You can't gather too much from it, but it just it sets it up, and I was worried that it was going to, I guess I wasn't worried it was going to be bad, because it's, it's, it's Lucas filmmaking it. I mean, I, I shouldn't say that too loudly, uh, but, but, uh, 
it, it looks good. I don't know. What yeah, do you think? I mean, it was always a risk. You know, it's it's telling a story that, you know, we're it, it's it, it's a prequel. I mean, that's right. what it is. It it takes place before episode four, so it's you know they're filling in some gaps. It's coming in the middle of episode seven and eight, so there's potential for confusion among people who are not diehard mm-hmm. fans. I know when the trailer first came out, a lot of people who didn't aren't really following it, they thought that Jin Urso, the character, they thought yep. that that was supposed to be Rey. Um, so, I mean, there is confusion about when this movie takes place among just the general public. Right. Um, but yeah, we've been watching this one for a while, way back on episode 21, if you can believe it, is when we had Gary Whitta on the show, and he wrote the original, he wrote the first screenplay for the movie. Right. Um, I'd love to have him back after the movie comes out. And I don't know if he even, even then he'd be able to say, because I know his script went through some rewrites. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just wondering um, how much it changed. Man. Like after he watches the movie, how much is familiar to him? He's not going to be able to say that. But It's I too bad because it would be fascinating to hear oh, yeah. his take, yeah. right? Absolutely. Here's the real question. In these side stories, apart from the main trilogies, are we ever going to see a Kessel Run happen? <laughs> do or do we want to that's maybe opening that's like a whole podcast episode right well i mean they're doing the han solo um yeah. standalone right and uh it's got to be in it, it maybe i mean i don't know i heard some rumblings that i don't think it was like confirmed confirmed but like lando is gonna appear in that right. film which would make sense because they mm-hmm. have a history together but um, yeah, there are some things like the Kessel Run that are just sort of they're there for the uh, the, the punchline, and I don't know if we necessarily need to see it. Right, right. Well, and it's kind of nice that it's out of the like. It's always one of those things where he's like, "Yeah, I did it," and tw-. it's just like, "Yeah, okay, well, how, what is it?" Who, it's, especially because yeah. it was that punchline in Episode Seven. Yes, I, I feel like putting it into the Han Solo movie is sort of it's too much on the nose. Like we yeah. don't need to see it. Let let's let have something like that be the story like that's the legend Fuck, yeah, people talk about yeah know? i agree with you i think yeah. some things are better to remain in the dark exactly. mystery <laughs> exactly. so, so jamie who are we talking to this week this week i had the pleasure of talking to jw rinsler um and if the name sounds familiar it's because he was the guy who put together those beautiful beautiful making of books uh that came out a while back uh so the making of star wars empire strikes back and return of the jedi that had um a lot of never before seen photos and stories and anecdotes and, uh, you know, concept art things. He had more or less unprecedented access to mm-hmm. George Lucas um, while he was making uh, the prequels and, uh, you know, the Lucasfilm archives and a lot of the original creative teams on the, on the original trilogy. Um, and so those books are, are kind of the definitive making of books for that, for those films. Um, so we talk about a little bit about that. He had also been working on a making a book for the force awakens. So we talk about that. Um, we talk about, um, we just kind of generally geek out about star Wars. You know, we talk about, I, I talk him about, talk to him about the, the de-specialized, uh, uh, versions of the film, you know, oh, whether, good. cause he had this kind of access. So I asked him about whether we really, you know, would we ever see, the original cuts of the film, that it's not the special editions, because we hear competing stories about whether or not those prints actually exist anymore. And, 
Yeah, it was just a good sort of geeky Star Wars conversation about somebody who is fully entrenched in in not just the fandom, but uh, had this amazing, incredible behind the scenes access. And I love this type of interview because it is about Star Wars, but it really feels like this could be a time like we've we've been talking about this before. It feels like it could be a timeless interview because, you know, he had access. It doesn't matter, (laughs) you know, the time period it is in. It will always apply. Right. A hundred years from now, you could listen to it. Maybe we'll be in the Smithsonian. You never know. Except for this this <laughs> intro bit we did, just talking about yes. uh, what we're excited <laughs> about and seeing in Rogue One. That's that's gonna be, um, you know, that'll be useless in a few months. But yeah, <laughs> it would be. Do you know what would be fun to do sometime? We should do a prediction, a prediction episode, and then come back and listen to it and see how wrong we were. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, we'll do, Let's it. do it. We'll do it before Rogue One this year. We'll All right. Round table. All right. <laughs> Let's not get off topic. We will go play the interview with James W. Rizzler right now. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Um, it's awesome to have you here. And I think we're just going to geek out a little bit about Star Wars and some of the other stuff that you're involved in. Okay. Where um, do you want to start? Let's start. I, I know... Uh, you're no longer working sort of, quote unquote, on the payroll at Lucasfilms. But I know that one of the last things that you were working on was the making of book for The Force Awakens, which was delayed. And now it looks like it might be released in October. Um, I, 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 I know you probably can't too, talk too much about it, but generally, how much new information like that will can fans look forward to in, in the book? And, you know, I know well, I mean. There's a lot of new information. Yeah. There. They really didn't release a lot of information. Um, you know, I don't know what form the book's going to come out. And, and frankly, I I don't know if it's coming out in October. Nobody has said that to me. And somebody else had said that it might be, and I checked with the publisher, and he said it's news to them. Okay. Um, so I, it might just be Amazon. Yeah, sometimes know, they, do that. They, just, they just put a date on there because they have to. Right, exactly, and I don't know that they're actually accepting pre-orders or not. Um, I guess that would be one way to find out, but yeah. uh, I would doubt it. But I, again, I don't, I don't work there anymore, so I'm not privy to yeah. every decision. But I think they would have let me know. <laughs> Probably your name it. is still on the book, right? <laughs> yeah, and and Mark Vaz, who you know, he was the one who was on the set. Yeah, and uh, you know, sent back reports. Um, yeah, I mean, because there was obviously there was a remarkable um they were remarkably successful in, in clamping down the information prior to release i think a lot of people were not expecting it to be that tight um but you know since release there's been a lot of a lot of talk and a lot of you know pulling back of the curtain but we really haven't seen a whole lot of that that making of stuff you know we haven't seen a whole lot of set pictures and stories from people who were there about how they did this or how they did that um but you're saying that you and Mark really did manage to put a lot of that information into the book. Yeah, I mean, because Mark was on set for I think about five weeks, I believe, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, I spoke to a lot of people early on before he was on the project. You know, basically, as soon as George said I'm selling the company, I started keeping a journal. Mm-hmm. So I had a journal, and then I interviewed, I don't know, roughly 20 people early on, just when they were starting the job. And um, so before J.J. was even hired as a director. Yeah. And so I have I had some really good early interviews 
and uh, and I was there at the first meeting at uh, Skywalker Ranch when, when JJ came and sort of officially he was already hired and everything, but it was sort of like here's the official start. He was done with Star Trek Do and the publicity for that, and it really kind of kicked off with this meeting at Skywalker, and uh, you know, and I was there until the movie released. Yeah. Um, so and then afterwards, I interviewed. I mean, I probably shouldn't say too much, but I interviewed people connected to the film. So I mean, there's you know, there's it's a it's a compelling book, and uh, I'm not you know, you'd have to ask them why it's been delayed. All right, I'll do that because <laughs> I I know there are a lot of people just sort of champing at the bit to get to it, and they really want to see it, um, just based on the you know the 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 depth with which you were able to pull out information for your previous books, I think that that's going to speak volumes to you know, the kind of thing that we will hopefully see in The Force Awakens one. Um, so I know yeah. I'm, not, I'm not alone in, in sort of really, really wanting to see that book. <laughs> well, it's a little bit different from the original trilogy books because those did have the advantage of 30 years. Sure. Uh, interim and people are more willing to talk on the record about controversies that they might not want to, probably mm. would not have wanted to talk about back then, almost yeah. definitely. Yeah. And um, so the book, in terms of its scope, might would probably be closer to the episode three book I wrote, um, mm-hmm. where not that we really held back anything because that movie was fairly didn't have a lot of controversy around it or anything. But, you know, you, you have a lim- in a sense, you have a more limited view because it's happening right in front of your nose. And, you know, 30 years of hindsight helps. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, I also read an interview. I think it was a recent interview where you said that at least in the draft, the manuscript draft that you delivered, um, you included some insight into Lucas's original intentions for the sequel trilogy. Um, and again, I know you're probably not at liberty to divulge any more than that, but do you think, um, given the current state of you know the rights and, and the status of the property there at Disney, do you think that his full concept, as it were, in whatever state that it ever existed, will ever see like the light of day? Will we ever really know his original idea for what he wanted, where he wanted the story to go? Well, you wouldn't know. I mean, you, have, you get a, a few hints in this book, but you don't get the whole picture. Yeah. Um, and. Um, but I, I think something that big will definitely come out eventually. Yes. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know when or where, but I just don't see how it could not. Yeah. When he eventually writes his tell-all memoir, right? Right. He, <laughs> he might write it or he might, you know, ask somebody else to write his official biography and put it in there because yeah. that would be a to get besides the fact that people want to buy the book anyway. But yeah. that would just be another reason to buy it. And uh, George is a pretty smart businessman and... But I'm not, I'm not even sure he wants to do that book ever. But yeah, somebody yeah. in way, shape, or form will do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know I know fans kind of go crazy for that stuff, the, the what-if stuff, like what, what could have been. Uh, and I think that was uh, a big reason why uh, the Star Wars, the, one, the, the, the comic that you adapted, um, was so successful, is because like, what could have been, these, these alternative views of, of the story that we know. Uh, aside... Yeah. Aside from, you know, his original pre-Disney plans for where the story was going to go, and that that the Star Wars Detours show, which is currently sitting on a shelf somewhere, are there any other 
projects that were you know produced to some extent but just never released and are just sitting somewhere not getting the love that they deserve well i think the big the very big project which i think people know about is the you know the whole tv show mm-hmm. the live act tv show um i i can't remember what's out there and what's not but you know they wrote they definitely wrote a number of scripts yeah and uh and i think they were i i haven't I might have written one, but you know they're highly regarded. I know within the company, and there's been talk, you know, out on the internet about them being done one day. So, but that's I guess the big one. Yeah, um, we had Brendan Hay on the show, who is the head writer on Star Wars Detours, um, and we we talked a little bit about how that show came to be, and it's kind of heartbreaking in a sense because they had something like 30 something finished in the can episodes ready to air and they're just sitting you know no one's allowed to ever see them and i'm just wondering if you've seen any of it in your research travels yeah i've seen a number of them like seven or eight or so they were showing them for a while just like they would show us the clone wars cartoons i mean shows before they we'd see them i don't know whatever a few months before they aired and uh, yeah, we saw a few of them, and and, and uh, it was just a decision that um, I guess Disney and New Lucasfilm made not to yeah. not to show them. Such a shame. I mean, yeah, so you much. Have to ask them why? <laughs> yeah, I mean, why. so much work that went into something like that to just let it sit, and it's it's just such a shame. Right. Well, I again, I, I'm just assuming now that I don't work there that in some way, shape, or form they'll come out because Star yeah. Wars fans are persistent and love the franchise so it's just something they want to see yeah of course they've never put out the holiday special (laughs) it's they've completely disowned it it's like it doesn't even exist (laughs) yeah but uh, the the detours aren't up to that standard (laughs) yeah well it's you know it's the holiday special and it's the uh, droids and ewoks cartoons They, they they've sort of disowned all of them and the holiday special i can understand but the those droids and Ewok shows have a certain charm that I, I really like. <laughs> I yeah, wish I wish they get a good release. The droids and Ewoks, they never came out on DVD? They came out on DVD. I don't think they were complete. It was, you know, just like a handful of episodes, but they never got like a complete series release. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, 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 had to, I watched all those. Um, I watched everything when I was working on the cinema of George Lucas book, which mm-hmm. I didn't write, which I, well, I wrote a teeny bit of it, but I, which I edited. Um, and uh, that was fun. Yeah. And, and a lot of that, or not a lot, but some ideas, I think there was an article in the insider magazine, a number of ideas from the, particularly the droids TV show ended up in the prequel trilogy. Really? Yeah. There's an article in there somewhere. I think the two headed announcer. Okay. And even the idea of the pod race, not yeah. the pod race, but there was some kind of race, if I remember correctly. But yeah. there was a good article in Insider that... I'll, of, I'll have to see if I can dig that up. I mean, I it's been a long time since I've seen those episodes. I just I think I'm looking at them mostly through the lens of nostalgia. Um, but I would really, you know, I'd love to see a good release and just be able to see them again. I mean, they released the Ewoks movies, for, for crying out loud. They can release the cartoons. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, well... Yeah. At this point, with all the research that you've done, all the books that you've worked on, how many times do you think that you've seen the films? 
Uh, you mean the original trilogy? Yeah. I, I don't know. I know I was definitely sick of watching Empire by the time I was done with that book. <laughs> I don't watch them that many while I'm doing it that yeah. many times because, um, you know, I just I don't have time to take right. You have to remember that I had a day job when I was doing these books. I was I was edit and was working on George's books, read a number of books that required a huge amount of work. Um, and so I'd only have morning nights and weekends to work on the actual hmm. the books that I was writing. And so I really had to spend my time in the archives and then creating all the rough drafts and then writing and interviewing. Interviewing people takes a long time. Yeah. Um, I was lucky in that the first two books had a lot of archival interviews, but even then you have to get them transcribed and you have to read them and you have to, it's a lot of work. It took many, many hours. So I probably only watched the films three or four times, maybe more, I don't know, while I was working on the books. Mm -hmm. um, episode three is different because we were, I was there while they made while it, and I was going yeah. to ILM Daily, so I would see the same scene upwards of 75 times. Oh, my time. gosh. <laughs> I would sit there in animatics and watch the same two-and-a-half-second shot for two hours. That's funny. I mean, I think a lot of people, when they think about, you know, making movies or making um, that the whole process of filmmaking, they, they think that it's this magical experience and like, oh, they, they want to be involved from the beginning to the end. But then you hear stories like that where you have to watch the same three seconds a hundred times and suddenly it doesn't seem so magical anymore. <laughs> it's really movie sets. And you, you'll hear this from me. I hear it from other people. And you, you, all you do is ask them. They're not exciting places. Yeah. I think somebody said it. An empire, it's it's extreme. No, it's extreme. No, it's long, tedious periods of boredom punctuated by extreme moments of terror. <laughs> That's perfect. It's a really good way of describing it. It's like you're just sitting there for hours, and then suddenly you're on the spot, and it's a hundred thousand dollars if you make a mistake. Exactly. <laughs> Once the film starts running, it's then it's money, you know. <laughs> right, and it's and the conditions are not glamorous at all. Yeah, you know, I, I remember visiting Hayden Christensen in his dressing room, and it was just basically a small room with almost no furniture in it, a TV, and I think he had whatever video game system was was a uh, popular at PlayStation Two or something like that, and mm -hmm. that was it. Yeah, you know, it's it's really not. And if you look at, you know, Jack Nicholson's, uh, uh. We heard, you know, apartment and at Elstree while they're making The Shining and that behind-the-scenes documentary. It's really, it's it's guerrilla filmmaking. Even if you're in a studio, it's, yeah. it's long, long hours with the same people yeah. for 16 hours a day for weeks on end. And that's that's not even talking about, you know, the people who are in full makeup who have to, you know, they've got their their call is at, you know, four o'clock in the morning because it takes three hours yeah. every day just to put the makeup on, and then they can't take it off for lunch. You know, they they have to wear it all day as uncomfortable or as as hot as it may be. Yes. Right. And, it, and everybody's suffering from the top down to the bottom. I'll never forget when I was I was on I for, on the set of episode three and I'd been there for a couple of weeks already. And George, it was early in the morning, like 7.30 or something or 7. And George walked on. He already had a bad knee. And he just mumbled to himself, why am I putting myself through this? <laughs> And he told me, at, you know, at the end when the Jedi said, it's just really not fun. Yeah. And anybody who says it's fun is lying. That's his point of view. 
Yeah, I've I've heard that before. Not just you know with respect to any filmmaker, but I've heard specific to George Lucas before that he does not enjoy the process of shooting the film, like actually the making of the film. It's 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 much later when the film's starting to come to be, and you can see the special effects come in and the editing and that sort of thing. But the actual day to day grind of saying action and getting the actors to hit their marks that he did not find that in, in, exciting no. or interesting at all. No, I mean, he tried to get out of it for empire and Jedi. And then he got, I think he's kind of t- talked himself into it for the prequels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a way he, he does want to have control over the material. And I think, and he was the most qualified person who understood the visual effects and what, how you had to shoot it to get the best effects. Um, and, you know, they were always sort of pushing the envelope, too. But, yeah, I mean, I saw, I think, you know, he, he won't, during that last interview, he didn't even want to admit that he was enjoying the editorial part of it. But I think that he does. Yeah. I think he does enjoy the editorial part, but it is also a grind. I think maybe it's both at the same time. Yeah. And I know that watching him in the art department, I think he really enjoys in the pre-production phase working with the artists. I mean, that was an amazing thing to see. You know, every Friday, these guys, Ryan Church and Eric Kiemans and Ian McKaig and Warren Fu would come up. It would be like a Derek Thompson. It would just it would be like a art gallery open, opening, but with like, instead of 25 pieces, you'd have 120, well, not 120, but 75 mm-hmm. really nice sketches to complete digital paintings. And George would go around and pick stuff and, make comments about other stuff. And he, I think he enjoyed that part. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I mean, you obviously know, but <laughs> just, you know, in the documentaries that I've seen and the, the footage that I've seen of like him walking around, looking at the mech hats and the, the, this concept art and the paintings, those are some of the only times on set that you actually see him laugh or smile or look like he's having a good time. Otherwise it's just sort of like, all right, action, you know, and it's like hoping that the actors do it right so they can move on to the next thing. Right, right. I mean, there, you know, there are there were times when, you know, at least because there's long periods of nothing to do, sometimes spontaneous conversations would happen that were the conversations were interesting. Yeah. And he would talk politics or, you know, movies or whatever. Um, so I mean, I found that really interesting. I don't know if he was having a good time. <laughs> uh, and um, but yeah, I, I think basically he doesn't really like that part. I know Stanley Kubrick wasn't crazy about that part either. You know, the pre-production and the post-production they found more fulfilling. Yeah, that's it's it's where you can see a lot more of the creativity at play. I think. Yeah, although Kubrick would, you know, he would um, he would embrace production anyway. Yeah. He figured it was time to do due diligence and if he had to shoot something 75 times to get it the way he wanted why why would you skip now you've done all this work to get to this point why would you want to go quickly yeah exactly Whereas for, for george i think it was really a question of getting material that was good enough that he'd be able to manipulate it in editorial and he was much more concerned than kubrick anyway with coming in on time and on budget mm-hmm. i think that was the challenge for him um, I'm curious if you have any insight that you can share again. Um, this, what, the story behind the pre-special edition cuts of the original trilogy. I, we, the, 
the, the conflicting reports that fans have seen over the years, and you know, I think the most predominant one is that those original prints just really don't exist anymore. Is that true? Uh, for the original Star Wars? The yeah, the, the original pre-special edition uh, editions. Uh, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, uh, I think Disney got the film archives when they bought it. But, mm-hmm. you know, I spent a lot of time in the film archives, but I wasn't looking for prints of movies. I was looking for yeah. behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah. I would think that somebody out there has, you know, has pre- um, and they can do such magic now digitally. That is true. Uh, I, mean, I know. I know that the Library of Congress has, at least of A New Hope, has an original um, version. I don't know the quality uh, of it, um, but yeah, I don't know if it would be something that you know they could digitally manipulate to make like Blu-ray quality that they could then release. But um, because you know, obviously, you know, that's one of the long-standing complaints and fan requests is that they want to have that original original trilogy released uh, and given some love and you know we've heard that story that the originals just when he made the special editions he physically cut up the original prints so that they just don't even exist anymore i i I, yeah you'd have to yeah ask him talk to the people (laughs) who did it i doubt that yeah i doubt it and also, I just think there are prints that are out there. So maybe yeah. not, even if it's not a Lucasfilm, if there was a concerted... I mean, they're able to put together, you know, M from 1931, I think, mm-hmm. you know, from various prints that they thought didn't exist 75 years after the fact. So Yeah. There's still sure, hope. Star Wars, there were a lot of prints of Star Wars out there. <laughs> they're showing in a lot of theaters, and people really loved it. So yeah. I think people must have it in their basements and stuff yeah even if it's not a lucasfilm well there's hope that it. I, and i personally would love to, i would love if they did that i would really like to see that's what i saw you know yeah. i saw a preview of it i was at, at the uh, coronet that's that's the movie i fell in love with exactly yeah i mean i i i really i know a lot of fans give it a lot of grief i don't mind special editions by and large there are you know some changes that i like less than others um but i would really i'd like to see you know a really nice blu-ray quality of the original the one that i remember from being a kid when i was a kid um and i think i think you're right i think it's just a matter of time um disney likes money and i think that if they have a way to make more of it legally that, that they'll do that yeah although they don't own the rough theatrical rights to that one the to the first yeah that yeah. first one fox still owns that so yeah. i don't know if that complicates things or not it but complicates Disney's, things the, the way that i look at it though is that if they were able to make a deal with sony for spider-man they can make a deal to get a new hope <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sure and then there are a lot of big star wars fans at disney too yeah so i would predict that it would happen one day yeah um but yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I was. I, I was excited when the special editions came out. It was just fun to sort of see them again. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, George was on the cutting edge. I was living in France at the time, and they they were sold out. You know, yep. 
just fun. I went to see them so many times in the theater during the special edition run that I was still going like weeks later. And I remember so clearly that I had an entire theater all to myself because I went like on a weekday afternoon it was, or I, I don't know if it was a summer or maybe it was a weekend. But I, I remember I had the entire theater just to myself because I was the only one who bought a ticket that day. And it was it was phenomenal. It was it was so awesome. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, it was great. Um, along those same lines, though, and unfortunately, because of the special editions and because a lot of people were felt a little disappointed with the prequels, Lucas gets a lot of flack among fans. Um, and I don't think that it's entirely fair um, for the most part, obviously. You've had far more access to him than most people do. Um, so if there were something that you could say to all Star Wars fans about Lucas based on what you know of him through your interactions, what do you, what would you want to tell them? Uh, I would say, um, cause I basically agree with your analysis. I would say, um, give him a break. Yeah. <laughs> there would be no Star Wars without George Lucas. He is the one. And, and this is in the making of Star Wars book. I mean, he is the one who, came up with the ideas, which were inspired by a lot of different things, and but brought it together through his filter in a truly unique way, which is very much him. You know, if you watch THX and American Graffiti and Star Wars, and it's really his personality and his interest, his love of anthropology and history and Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon and... and uh, mysticism is all blended together in this incredible amalgam, which only he could do. Mm -hmm. And Fox didn't want to make it at all. He was up against enormous obstacles. And if he hadn't made American Graffiti, it never would have got made because he had to pay back between 74, well, 75 to basically the year 75, he had to pay for pre-production himself. You know, four hundred thousand plus dollars, which is the equivalent probably of four million something yeah. today, which is not spare change. Not at all. <laughs> you know, he believed in it when every person was knocking it, except you know his wife and probably a few other people, and uh, and had to you know and he's and had to deal with 50, a crew that was fifty percent semi-hostile to overtly hostile because they thought it was such a silly movie. And, uh, you know, and then, and then, you know, created a visual effects studio from scratch to do it, created, you know, got Ben Burt, you know, recruited him from USC. I mean, created sounds from nothing. All of this to make this first movie, it's one of the most incredible creative moments in the history of Western art that has ever existed. Yeah. Period. You know, cause it, and there, you know, there's other 2001 would be maybe another example of that, and uh, you know, a handful of other films. And if anybody's going to care about film once we've gone on to the next big form of art, it's going to be Star Wars and you know, whatever, a hundred other films, more mm -hmm. or less. Mm -hmm. So he's a great artist, and the prequels, you know, the first and the first one has flaws. So does Empire, so does Jedi, mm -hmm. so, and so do all three of the prequels. But each one of them has moments that are up there in the greatest, you know, 
how can I put it? It's, it's just great filmmaking in terms of, you know, George is an abstract filmmaker at heart. That's what a lot of people forget, which is why sometimes the dialogue gets short thrift. Mm-hmm. Um, he's interested in the graphic forms on the screen. He's interested in how things cut together. And, uh, you know, if you look at the asteroid chase in episode two, speeder bike chase in, in uh, episode six, the Clone Wars thing in episode two, the battle at the end, and the, and the, and the Clone Wars battle at the beginning of episode three, it, it's, it's hard to find anything in any other films that come up to those. There is such wonderful filmmaking, just the way it flows together. And, I, and, and it, you know, Woody Allen says how you edit something becomes biological. And it may just be that I really respond to it biologically. You know, I, my DNA likes those way he does things. <laughs> it could be that somebody else isn't as, as affected. Yeah. And I think it's just great, great filmmaking and sound and music. It's, it's really, it's, it's the, the culmination of a whole sort of tradition of Western art. Yeah. And, you know, continue beyond him. But I just think, you know, why spend so much time worrying about whether <laughs> you, you made movies that you don't like? It's yeah. Really? Yeah. It is silly. I mean, I mean, fans of anything, but fans of Star Wars especially, um, it's not it's not limited to Star Wars. It's a lot of, you know, fantasy, sci-fi genre um, properties have a, engender similar reactions among fans, but they get so invested and so attached um, and it becomes their story. You know, so like the original trilogy for so many fans, they internalize it and they think this is my story. You know, they forget the hundreds of people who, you know, this was a job to them and that they, they made it and it was somebody else's idea. Um, but this was my story. And so anything that comes out, any other story told in this universe must meet with my approval. And if it doesn't, I need to shoot right. it down. And I, that, you know, that that has grown over the years recently. And, it, you know, you chalk it up to social media, chalk it up to the Internet, chalk it up to whatever. Um, I think people need to just really take a step back and be like, it's not yours. It belongs to everybody. And it's, you know, if you don't like it, it's OK not to like it. And more importantly, it's okay for somebody else to like it. You know, I mean, that's what that's what people tend to forget is that if you don't like it, or if you like what I don't like, you're dumb. And drives me crazy. <laughs> drives yeah, me but crazy. again, I, I I wouldn't worry about it too much either way. Yeah. I mean, the, the younger folks who grew up with the prequels, I, it's hard. To, people don't like to hear it, but they prefer the prequels over the original trilogy. Yeah, they they move. They move more quickly. There's more stuff going on, um, and you know, in fact, the prequels have, politically speaking, historically speaking, within the films, it's a much more interesting backstory. backdrop. You know, one of the books that George wanted to do was a book called Star Wars in History, and we got a bunch of uh, PhDs in history professors to write about. Star Wars, and they could pick whatever they wanted to, and they, mm-hmm. most of them wrote about the prequel trilogy. Yeah, because he's he's, he's talking about the the fall of an uh, of a republic and the rise of a fascist state. And yeah. How does that happen? It's and that's what he was interested in. It's a very people take it for granted, but what other besides for Lord of the Rings, which was a book first, what else out there has that kind of depth to it? You know, certainly not any of the comic book movies. That's true. 
Um, it, 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 it's a thoughtful plot, and it's not easy to do. <laughs> and and anyway, and uh, and I think you know the internet is a, it's sort of a a passing phase where people can just go on and on. And I love the internet, but it's a very small vocal group that gets very yeah. upset or excited about certain things in the entertainment business, whether they're doing this or that. And um, I don't think it really. You know, I guess it has a good side and a bad side. Yeah, you're right. It 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 is a vocal minority in in many cases, and that's something that we also tend to forget. Is because they're so vocal, um, we tend to hear those arguments louder than everybody else, and it's sort of that we, we tend to think that oh, that's how everybody feels, or that's what everybody thinks, when it's not necessarily the case. Uh, because yeah, I have two young kids, and they both adore Star Wars. They love all all seven movies, um, you know. But they're young; they're kids. They like the new movie, the prequels that were made for them. You know, the, a modern audience. You know, they laugh with Jar Jar. They like the clone troopers. They like the faster pacing. You know, and older nerds like me. I mean, we may not like it, but eventually we have to admit that, like, okay, maybe it wasn't made for us. You know, maybe it was made for for a new generation or a new audience and that's okay. It doesn't have to be, not everything has to be for me, you know? Well, you know, my, my wife, who's my age, she loves the prequels. Yeah. She thinks that, and she thinks the romance between Anakin and uh, Padme is, is really good and well done and describes what it's like to be basically teenagers in love when you're really stupid. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I uh, found it quite compelling. And, uh, you know, I, I, none of them are perfect. I mean, I remember watching Jedi when it came out and going, well, that's it. I'm done with Star Wars. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. And a lot of people felt that way. Yeah, oh, sure. People forget. It was, it's, the Internet didn't exist back then. But believe me, when if the oh. Internet had existed back when the Ewoks came out, it would have been a massacre. Yeah. <laughs> It would have been Jar Jar times a hundred. Oh, I believe it. I believe. It. I mean, yeah. there's, there's still, there's residual hate toward the Ewoks, which I never understood. I loved the Ewoks then, and I still like them now. But yeah, if, if, if they, if the internet was around and we suddenly saw talking, walking teddy bears in Star Wars, people would, yeah. They I mean, would at least, at least Jar Jar was, in terms of filmmaking, was a, a really bold idea to do this completely digital character. Yeah. Arguably the first, or one of the first, anyway. Well, the Ewoks were a throwback. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they weren't advancing anything, and they looked ridiculous. But hey now. again, <laughs> the kids love them, so who cares? you know who cares? They sold a lot of toys, and that's kind of the point. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if they did sell a lot of toys. I I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The, I don't know the numbers, but I know that there were a lot of Ewoks. Things. There's a lot of Star Wars the idea. merchandise. It's yeah, definitely the idea. And George was criticized back then for sort of wanting to crash in on the teddy bear market. Yeah, um, but he just wanted to make some a toy that his daughter uh, Amanda would want to play with, which yeah. is a perfectly legitimate thing to want. Sure. And uh, but I mean, you know, the Ewoks have had a huge um, <laughs> afterlife. They just keep <laughs> kept going. And Jar Jar has as well. Yeah, he's not going. <laughs> when I had to write the Clone Wars episode, not had to, but when I when I wanted to write a Clone Wars episode, George told me I had to 
rehabilitate Jar Jar. <laughs> so I got stuck with it. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I succeeded. <laughs> but I tried. <laughs> it's kind of, um, for many people, unfortunately, it's kind of a losing battle. But, you know, you do the best, yeah. you tell the best story that you can. And that's what matters. Um, I did. Well, it was George's story, but I got to, anyway, yeah. let's. Let's continue. <laughs> Off of Jar Jar, you don't want no Jar Jar, no Ewoks anymore. Put them behind us. Um, a few weeks ago, well, last month, a couple months ago, we had uh, Leland Chi on the show, and uh, he was kind enough to sort of pull back the curtain a little bit with what goes on in the story group. Um, and when you were there, because you were there for many years, um, how collaborative were all the different teams and from your perspective, was there a noticeable difference before and after the Disney purchase? Like, how much did things really change? Um, well, things changed a lot. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they had to change. I mean, you had a organization that was run by George, um, was sold, and, and so you no longer had his sort of um, uh, signature, the way he did everything, um, was sort of just overnight, more or less, disappeared. And, you know, very nice and uh, excited people moving in, but it was just very, Disney does things in a different way. Um, and in some ways, it depends what you're talking about. In well, some ways, it became more collaborative because the story group kind of took over yeah. um, all the different divisions in terms of the stories, Star Wars stories, anyway. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm I'm asking. Like, the the the... the collaboration in telling that singular story, even though it might be separate stories, but you're still telling the story of that universe and, and the characters and how everything plays out and intertwines. And I know that there was, you know, collaboration and, and an attempt to keep canon, you know, quote unquote canon, um, when George was still in charge. And then, you know, Disney took over and they wiped it clean and we're saying starting over with we're keeping these certain things. Um I just didn't know if there was the same level of collaboration. You're saying that there was actually more collaboration after the purchase? Well, there, yeah. I mean, there was more collaboration and there was more sort of people getting together and talking about what, how they can make all the stories intertwine. But, I mean, I will say that the way it worked before um, was, maybe it's apples and oranges, but before... You know, the publish, publishing, you could do basically what you wanted, and Leland uh, would sort of make sure that it fit in, mm -hmm. but, if, but you didn't have to get 20 people to sign off on it. Yeah. Um, and uh, gave, and I would say that it, it helps people who are creative tend to work better when given a full head of steam. Mm -hmm. So you had authors writing the adult novels, or, you know, I came up with the uh, plots for a few of the scholastic novels and you just go and say Leland is this okay and he'd read it and go fine yeah it fits in it's a good story and so they would just run with it and there were only certain times when we'd have to ask a question to George and he George had sort of benign neglect it was like as long as you guys do what you want and you have your separate universe I'm going to do mine and I don't care about yours <laughs> <laughs> but I do want you to make money yeah. I want you to make as much money as possible because I have these huge projects. And uh, so if that's the way it works, then fine. And it worked really well. I mean, there was, you know, Lucasfilm uh, was 
licensing did an amazing job. And Disney is doing an amazing, they're really good at it too, but they have a different approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they, and globally, they have a bigger reach, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, there was a lot of doubt when when the when that deal was first announced and you know especially in the the months leading up to Force Awakens people were getting very very anxious and, and antsy about you know is this what what are we going to do if it's bad you know like that that was the big concern like do like what if this, what if we're let down again um i mean disney i think at this point clearly knows how to make money which means that they know how to tell a good story you know they bought the Muppets and they made the best Muppet movie in years. You know, they bought Pixar and they, you know, with, with the exception of a few sequels, they've they've let them do their thing. And they bought Marvel and they've created this amazing cohesive universe that is just making hit after hit after hit. And I think that they're just doing the same thing with Star Wars. And it really makes me look forward to what they've got coming next. You know, I mean, I'm really looking forward to Rogue One and seeing what what what's going to happen there. Um, and then beyond that, you know, I mean, the the slate of movies that they've announced and the projects that might be on the horizon, it's it's a super exciting time. Yeah, and they have, they have very good people at the top. I mean, as far as I know, I don't know them. But Bob Iger and Alan Horn, I was able to talk with him briefly, you know, very incredibly experienced, super intelligent guy. Yeah. And of course, Kathleen Kennedy, and they're bringing in a lot of interesting people. Um, you know, I, I liken it to the James Bond series a little bit in that, you know, after, you know, Sean Connery and the sort of first wave of people left, you have, you know, a lot, there's been whatever, I don't know, how many James Bond films have there been? 20? 20-something, 20 yeah, 25, 26, something like you that. Know, some are good and some are great and some are not so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a little bit different because in this case you had this one creator doing six films. Yeah. Um, there's nothing quite like it. I can't, I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, but you know, George wanted his characters to live on and that's why he sold it to Disney. Yeah. So as long as people are excited by what's happening, buying tickets, it's going to keep living on. Yeah. And I'll, I'll definitely be at the theater to see each one of the films when they come out. What are you most looking forward to? Whether it's something in Rogue One or episode eight or something else? Uh, it's, I, you know, I, I try to be as ignorant as humanly possible. <laughs> I don't pay attention to what's happening at all before a movie comes out. I don't want to know. I studiously ignore the stuff. I want to go to the movie, and, and I prefer not to even know if it's a drama or a comedy. Really? <laughs> <laughs> That's impossible, but... Um, so you just go by uh, title. Just, that That title sounds cool. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or that's got an interesting actor. Yeah. I, pretty close the other day. I can't remember what the movie was, but I really wasn't sure what kind. Oh, it was um, Cloverdale, right? No. Oh, oh, oh. Um, yes, I know. This the the sort of cool sequel to um, Cloverfield. Cloverfield, yeah. It was a sort of sequel, and yeah. I it's like, is this supposed to be a horror movie? Yeah. Suspense? What kind of movie am I? And I had because I knew nothing. Because um, I moved up north to. And we just had this one little cinema, and so it was kind of it was fun. It was like, what kind of movie? Am I, what's going to happen next? I don't know. Is it a horror <laughs> movie? Is there going to be monsters in this one? And, that, and it was really fun. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I closed my eyes and 
during trailers. I mean, it's really silly. Yeah. <laughs> I well, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fascinating, it, it's so hard to do though. You know, I mean, I, I love that feeling too. You know, just a movie you've never heard of. You're like, Oh, I like that actor. I didn't know what's this movie. So you turn it on and you have no idea what to expect, but you know, if you're on the internet at all, it's so hard to avoid anything about some of these things. Well, you just don't go to the certain sites. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't go. I don't click on the link that says so and so was revealed. I just yeah. don't. I just don't want to know. I, I and I used to teach cinema, and I once showed. It was really fun. I showed them, like the. I didn't tell them the class anything, and I showed them like the first fifteen minutes of. The, Mega Man with Charlton Heston, mm-hmm. and it was really interesting to see them watch it. They were like squirming, like, "What kind of movie is this? What are they doing?" It's all these questions are running through their heads because they don't know what genre it is, and you don't know anything. Mm-hmm. And actually, it does relate kind of to to bring it back to Star Wars. It relates to how George felt, how he described feeling when he saw Japanese movies, the Kurosawa films, and these yeah. films when he was in film school. Because they don't explain a lot of what's going on. It's like, because Japanese people get it, right? Yeah. So it's, he wanted to sort of, he wanted to um, create that same kind of familiarity, but not familiar in his films. And like, that's, that's how he did THX. Mm-hmm. You watch it and you're like, he doesn't explain a lot of yeah. what's going on. What is happening? Yeah, what's happening? That's a it's a nice feeling of disorientation if it's handled correctly. Yeah. And he did the same thing in Star Wars. People forget they didn't explain a lot. Oh yeah, just I mean, it just starts right in the middle and it doesn't introduce yeah. characters. It's just you you you're expected to just sort of catch yourself up as the story goes on. Yeah, it, people and again, it comes from that sort of abstract filmmaking thing. It's like the they were really, really not sure if audiences were even going to tolerate the fact that droids are the main characters for the first 30 minutes of the movie. Yeah. You know, people in costumes, you can't even see, there's no lips movie, one of them doesn't even talk English. I mean, it was such a crazy idea. <laughs> it's so funny because you, you forget that, and now it just seems so natural and so normal, but if you try to forget everything that you know about Star Wars and just try to put yourself in the shoes of those executives who were making those decisions, like, you can kind of understand their hesitation. <laughs> oh, they, they just I mean, they actively did. If it weren't for um, what's his name, uh, uh, Alan Ladd, they uh, uh, never would have got through Fox. I mean, there, there's that myth that it's the Ralph McQuarrie paintings that got the movie made. I love uh, Ralph. He's a great guy, and his paintings are fantastic, and they were hugely important for the making of the movie. But had Fox didn't care about some paintings, they were going to make it green light a movie because of paintings. <laughs> Insane. The only reason they made the movie was because of Alan Ladd and the success of American Graffiti that came before it. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's just completely nuts. And that's why I think somebody asked me the other day um, what order you'd watch the movies in mm-hmm. for new people who hadn't seen it. And I, I, I said four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. You yeah. have to watch nine. <laughs> because you can't you've got to have the shock of four and five without knowing anything else yeah and you know then go back and then but then watch them again once you know what happens in one two three and you get basically two or three different full stories yeah and if you're watching it for the first time watching that original trilogy twice like that you'll be watching basically two different movies each time because you're 
you're coming to it the second time with that whole backstory. Right. And you go, oh, my God, here's the emperor. Yeah. Or, you know, here's Darth Vader. Now I know who this guy is. It's completely different. Yeah. Very, very different. You're, I mean, you're obviously, obviously, you're a Star Wars fan, and obviously, you're very steeped in cinema, and you're a, a cinema fan. Um, how do you, how do you separate that fandom from just having a job to do when you, when you're writing a book? You know, whether you know it's about whether it's a Star Wars book or if it's writing, you know, something else like the Indiana Jones book or something. Um, do you ever just sort of have have this sort of conflict inside of you? Be like you want you want to just be a fan, but you also want to be objective and, and sort of how do you how do you go about that? Well, that's that's a good question. Uh, I I think of myself as just telling a story. Mm-hmm. So I just want to tell the story in the way that's the most entertaining and inspiring for the average reader. I don't I don't address it to the hardcore fans because they know so much more than the average person. Uh, I th- I guess I imagine somebody out there who just is, love, is in love with cinema. Mm-hmm. I do imagine that there's somebody who loves cinema, and therefore I'm going to include certain things about how they made the movie because that's what the kind of book it is. But I'm not going to get into the details of, you know, whatever, how the sky, how the land speeder is, different in certain shots because they move this little thing over there. Mm-hmm. I don't get it, except in a caption or maybe a sidebar, if it's if I think it's interesting. But it's very subjective. You know, somebody else could take all the same information that I had, all the same research material, and write a very different book. Right. Not to say that I exclude stuff, but it's, it's a filter that it, everything goes through, and you go, well, that's interesting, that's not. And the stuff that's not interesting doesn't end up in the book. Mm. I mean, I could... For Jedi, I had Howard Kazandrian's phone book. You know, it's, it's, I could have put in every telephone call that Howard <laughs> Kazandrian made. But I think somebody probably would have cut it out. In the yeah, that might have been too much. Yeah. <laughs> That's what editors are for. Uh, we, I don't think we need this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, somebody, yeah, the Lucasfilm or the Del Rey editor might have yeah. balked. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, I want to I want to ask you. I know we're we're kind of running out of time, but I wanted to ask you about Riddle of the Black Cat. Um, how did that first come about? Ah, Riddle of the Black Cat. That came about over a long period of time. I like I said, I used to teach and I taught the short story in this literature class, and uh, I realized that, at least from my point of view. Edgar Allan Poe was playing a game with the reader. Um, at that time, the insanity plea had just uh, come into existence for the first time in England, and it was starting to be something that was a possibility in America. And um, I think he thought, what if I create a guy who is pretending he's crazy, mm-hmm. but if I plant clues in the story that show that he's not crazy, that it's all... Uh, a feint, a ploy, right. and so then I, so I said, and then I really, and then I of course remembered that he was the creator of the de- modern detective novel or story, and so I said, well, what if I change it and I create, I put the detective that he created from Murders on the Rue Morgue, and put him into the Black Cat story and sort of in place of the reader and solves the the riddle that Poe did, and I, so I thought that was really cool. I mean, I thought that was a fun interpretation, and then mm-hmm. I. Thought it would make a good animated short, and uh, I was on vacation 
in the Yucatan and wrote the script, you know, during when we weren't wandering around ancient temples, and uh, which was a lot of fun. But anyway, <laughs> uh, and then I, I, I <laughs> uh, persuaded Greg Knight to do. I said, look, it'll be like 50 illustrations tops. You know, yeah. you can do it on the bus in the morning because sure. we were both taking the Easy. work. And he did do a lot on the bus, but it ended up being years of work and probably about 350 illustrations. <laughs> and uh, he, would, he was a hugely good sport about it. And, uh, and then, we, you know, I got these ex-ILM guys who were in Petaluma at Lightstream Animation to help me with the editing and the sort of little effects we put in there. But, yeah. you know, it was zero budget. I just thought it'd be fun to do. And it got into a few festivals. Uh, but did not launch my directing career. Alas. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, but it, now it, I'm working it, on. Sorry. No, go ahead. I'm so sorry. Uh, no, I just saying now I'm working on a novel actually. Um, so uh, I, I've taken a different tact. Yeah, I was going to say the the short, um, you know, Riddle of Black Cat is it's it's great, and if for anybody who hasn't seen it, I'll link to it. it it's only what ten minutes, so it's. It's it's easy to watch and it's quick to watch. You don't have to de- de- devote a whole lot of time to it, but it's it's really really well done. Um, and you, yep. I want to ask you about your novel in a second. What else, and what else you have coming up? But are you? Is there any? Do you have any interest in doing another film, whether it's animated or otherwise, or Poe or otherwise? Oh yeah, I have a I have a really good idea again subjectively <laughs> <laughs> uh, for an animated. Uh, Short. Actually, this would be more like thirty minutes. We were like episodic, mm-hmm. and about I have about five or six of them ready to go, and um, I would I just I just haven't got around to trying to come up with the financing for it. But I'm I'm hoping to do it one day, you know. Yeah. And uh, and meanwhile, I'm working I'm working on a novel that I've been working on for three or four years, and I'm in the home stretch, and I hope to shop it around later this year. And I, I can't say I can't say anything about it, but I, sure. I, I, you know, I, on Twitter, people want to follow me on Twitter. I'll be making whatever announcements there are to make about that in the months to come. And uh, I, I'm very excited about it, and I really hope other people will be. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, we're, I'm looking forward to it. Um, once you start chopping it around, and if you get any bites, and you're able to talk a bit about a bit more about it. Um, let me know and we'll share it and we'll talk about it because that's exciting. Um, oh, that'd be sa- great. That same, would, same thing with the film, you know, I mean, the, the things you can do with crowdfunding nowadays, it's, it's uh, unbelievable. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. And uh, I, I just have to clear one or two legal hurdles and then we'll be re- and then we'd be ready to do crowdfunding. That. And you're right. I think it would crowdfund very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's amazing. Um, that's Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. I know uh, we're running, we ran out of time. I, I told you we weren't going to go an hour, and we did, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right, and I put aside an hour. And actually, I would like to plug one book Do it. out in digital form. I think it's, I'm, I think it's coming out. Uh, I don't want to get it wrong, but it's going to come out in physical form in a few months. Uh, it's Roger Christian's book, uh, Cinema Alchemist, and. Uh, you know, Roger Christian's the guy who built the first lightsaber, mm-hmm. uh, won an Oscar for set decoration on Star Wars, you know, did the face hugger and Alien, and has directed a number of movies, uh, including um, Black Angel, which was a short. 
which ran with Empire in Europe. Anyway, he has a book out. It's really like what it makes you feel like what it's like to be in the art department. Oh, wow. And all the hard work. And Star Wars fans owe it to themselves to read it. It's a great book. And uh, Titan has it out, I think, in digital form now. And in fact, he, I'm sure he would do your show. If you want, if you need contact information for him, just let me know and I'll send it to you. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah. And I will, I will link to that book too. So people can go check that out. I want to go read it right now, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good. I mean, it's a, it's a take on Star Wars that you won't see anywhere else because he was yeah. there. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love those kind of books and stories where, you know, people, people who were there when it happened and they, you know, it's a completely different perspective than, somebody who's just sort of reporting on history or just telling a story, you know, not to take away from any of the other things that people can, can, can talk about, but, you know, people who were there um, in the trenches, so to speak, it's, it's phenomenal for some of the stories that, that people have. Um, so we'll definitely link to that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it is. And not only did he work on those films, but he worked on life of Brian. So, I mean, oh. come on. Yeah, <laughs> instant cred right there. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's the real deal. Amazing, amazing. Um, again, thank you so much. Well, that's it for this week on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. That was fun. That was fun. fun. I wish. Fun, fun. I, I, I wish. I wish you could be on every interview, though, it's Justin. True. The ones that I do by myself are sometimes a little bit lonely. It's true. Well, and they sound no. I was gonna say they sound lonely, but they don't. They don't. <laughs> nice. They don't Thank sound you. Lonely. Thank you. They don't though. They're good. You're you do a good job. Hey, thanks. <laughs> but they're just missing that that, that, that certain that, something. That je ne sais quoi. That je ne sais quoi. <laughs> just je ne sais quoi. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't even know what to say. Ugh, blah. I was going to say something and I can't remember something about Star Wars, something about you were talking about. Oh, let's go back to, you were talking about the, the original, uh, the original cut of the movies. Yes. The pre-special edition version. Yes. Yes. I, I remember watching them as a kid, obviously. So do you. And now do you find, and this may be a whole nother discussion, but do you find when you're watching the special ones that it's just, and probably everybody does. Do you find it's lame at all? I, I look at it. Sometimes. I always thought that they were lame. Yeah, like I and I, I guess everybody does. It's not I mean, even really something to talk about. But see, let, let's be honest. This could be a whole episode, but real yes. quickly, um, I find mo. I, I found when they were you know first released in '97, and I still find today most yeah. of the editions harmless. They're fine. Yes. Yeah. Whatever. Take them or leave them. I prefer the original with the cheesy special effects and right. the, those scenes missing. But for the most part, most of the additions or changes, alterations, whatever, they're harmless. I can mm-hmm. live without, with or without them. The major scenes that were added, like the Java scene in A New Hope, yeah. I can't stand. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the, the, um, the inexcusable change to me was Jedi Rocks from Jabba's Palace and Return mm-hmm. of the Jedi. The um, the original song there, which was what, Lapty Neck, yeah. was awful. But it's what it was. It was, you know, puppets singing this bad song that in Jabba's <laughs> Palace. Now we get this 
you know, rock and roll, fully refined CG character scene that feels so out of place. You know, the original version of that of the song felt like it was a song that could have been performed in Jabba's little dank dungeon. Yeah. You know, now it's like suddenly Jabba's dank dungeon is a nightclub with state of the art speakers and amazing, right. an amazing musical setup. It feels very out of place. Yeah. That is the scene that is in inexcusable for me and I cannot I cannot stand well and you know even for me I found things took away like when they try to do almost like funny things like a stormtrooper falling or you know what I mean things in the background of a scene when they're transitioning I just think it's stupid there's no need for it I mean like you said it's harmless but it's still stupid like let it stand, right? <laughs> sure. You know, or like the scenes in Cloud City when they're running through the hallways, and they're yeah. not just hallways, now they're windows, and you can see outside. Right. Fine. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it adds some to the to the ambiance and gives, you know, puts it, puts things in a little bit more perspective, I guess, and creates the environment, makes it yeah. a little bit richer. But whatever. I mean, that doesn't offend me. You know, no, Jedi no, rocks offend Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I love that you, I love that we are cool enough to have an opinion on this. <laughs> Everybody has an opinion, Justin. No, it's, it's great. I love it. it. <laughs> I, I love it. I love that. I love geek culture and that this is something that we can passionately talk about. And nobody, Absolutely. and nobody, well, I mean, some people probably think we were weird for doing it, but people yeah. that listen to the show don't. And that's no. cool. No. <laughs> so thank you for listening week after week. Thanks for coming back. If you don't come back, hit subscribe and you can come back. We have, we have new facts. We make it super easy for you. Yes. <laughs> We deliver an episode for you every Tuesday, sometimes on Thursdays as well. Or Fridays. I forget which day. Fridays. Either one. Either one. We like to keep you guessing. And it's awesome because a lot of podcasts are not regular. A lot of them a lot a lot of them miss weeks. But we pride ourselves. We've, you know, been doing it for a while now. So sometimes Jamie has to get on my case for that to happen, but it happens. (laughs) It happens. We don't, we've never missed a week. So that's good. Perfect. So if you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. Someone you'd love to have us interview. We will put them on the list at Twitter at the GBB podcast. That's where we are. Same as Facebook. Just search the, the GBB podcast. Or Great Big Beautiful Podcast. That's so long. I'm so stupid for making that name. <laughs> it's, okay. it's, it's grown on me. It's our it's our name. Now. It's our name. It works. <laughs> so I'm Justin at 140 Justin C if you want to connect on Twitter. I'm Jamie at the Roarbots. The Roarbots. Roarbots. I love that name. Someday Thank you're you. gonna tell me the origin story. Like I already <laughs> did, didn't I? I don't think so. All right. Well, well someday. You'll tell me the or we'll keep it a mystery like the <laughs> Kessel run. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Take care. (laughs) This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.